0: Hello and welcome to Who Asked You, the show featuring one poli-sci major and one girl who dropped out of Intro to American Governments by week three.
1: I'm Gabby. Um, I was the campus editor of The Daily in the spring, and now I am an old shriveled hag. Um, <laughs> now I'm nobody. I'm Marissa. I am the current summer
0: editor of The Daily, and last spring I was one of the managing editors.
1: And what what happened to you? What happened to an in intro to American <laughs> government? Don't leave that <laughs> out.
0: And yes, I did drop intro to American governments by week three because I was like, this is exactly like a push, which I got a three on, so I don't need to be here right now, <laughs> so I left. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be a policy major when I entered college, and now I am like, all alas, <laughs>
1: alas, you still ended up on a podcast, so it all worked out. So, why did we start this podcast, Gabby? We feel like we have interesting things to say. We're both twenty years old. We both. Uh, are that critical youth demographic that everybody loves to demonize but needs our votes. So, you know, if you want to know what creates a viral moment, what's going to be a meme tomorrow, we're definitely part of that online. Conversation's always happening about these candidates.
0: I think also speaking to, like, both of our experiences a little bit, but, like, I'm a woman of color. The media landscape in 2016 changed my perspective on politics because, again, even though I'm not a poli-sci major, politics affects my life a lot in a lot of different ways. And, like, this election is political for me but it's also very personal and I really enjoy bringing the sides of like sociology and history and also my personal experiences to analyzing things like the democratic debates and the race and the candidates what about you Gabby As
1: a woman, uh, which is a phrase you'll hear a lot on this podcast. Um, (laughs) From both of us, for sure. (laughs) Definitely, Marissa and I talk often about, like, how being a woman affects us in professional settings, so that makes me really interested in how women in um, sort of the ultimate professional setting here of trying to run for America's highest office, how they're perceived in contrast to their male colleagues. My mom was an immigrant. You want to Victoria justice me? Oh, my mom was also an immigrant. (laughs) (laughs) So we both are interested in that, and that's a big topic here. So I think we have a lot of um, identities that we bring to bear when we talk about how the candidates are perceived, how they're being talked about, and the media environment that comes around the debate. So today we're talking about the Democratic primaries, even though literally nobody asked us.
0: So let's get into it.
1: First of all, sort of our general themes from the night, our takeaways. Um, we thought the first night, especially in comparison to the second night, was a lot more cordial. Um, I thought it was actually somewhat more policy-focused in terms of details. Um, there were challenges in terms of things like immigration policy, healthcare policy on some candidates getting into the minutiae of what's different between the two of them. Noticeably, Beto O'Rourke and Julian Castro did that. Also, can we just say, Warren, she shined last night.
0: Like That was spectacular. She's obviously like the person to beat at this point, especially on that stage where she was by far the highest polling person of the 10 people. But like whenever she spoke, everyone was just like stopping and really taking in what she had to say. And I
1: think that's something that a lot of people are looking for in a presidential candidate. And something that we talk about a lot is the sort of bullshit idea of electability and how that sort of harms women in the sense that, you know, we've never had a female president. We haven't had a lot of female party leaders, things like that. So when you say electability, you're sort of referring to what the traditional model of an electable person is, which is usually a white man. But I think Warren... Definitely, last night made it clear like she can take on Trump. She can be inspiring. She used a lot of mixtures of like data, anecdotes about herself, analysis, and like policy details to really bring them all together into like a coherent story. No, absolutely. So yeah, we were impressed. I would say
0: also someone who's like a really surprising standout was definitely Julian Castro. Um, let's plug ourselves real quick. <laughs> why is Julian? Why is Julian
1: on the debate stage, Marissa? <laughs>
0: Well, Gabby, because we signed a petition that said he should be able to get on the stage. And now he emails me every day. Um, (laughs) I use a fake email, I'm not going to lie.
1: I get emailed literally every day. I was was proud to receive that email the day after the debate because I finally, first of all, got a little bit of a sense of who he was. But go ahead, go ahead, talk about him. Okay, (laughs) once he got
0: on the debate stage, he really impressed me because, I mean, I knew that he had the chops, like having been a mayor of like a really large city, having been in the White House At Pete before, Buttigieg, like, take notes. Right? <laughs> Honestly, there's a huge double standard because he is the only Latino candidate. Where he's shown the most was that immigration question where he was like, you know what, I am pissed off. And then he actually named like Oscar Martinez and his daughter Valeria, the people who recently drowned. And I think that is just like, a small gesture, but it means that he is paying attention and that this is something both personal and political for him.
1: And I think notably in contrast to Cory Booker and to Beto O'Rourke, both of them kind of stuck to their stump speeches, but sounded pretty rehearsed. And I think Castro did a good job of, like, A, not sounding super politician-y, which I liked, you know, when he was like, this photo, frankly, pisses me off. I was like, yeah, I like that he's, like, keeping it real like that, A. And then I think B, um, it speaks to, like, he is younger, and I think he captures more of that Twitter demographic that, like, we're definitely part of. Um, He made a mistake by saying, like, trans women instead of trans men when he was talking about reproductive rights and justice. But, like, just the inclusion of trans people when we're talking about reproductive rights is, like, something that is, like, almost unfathomable even a few years ago. And it speaks, obviously, a lot to, like, trans activism. The fact that they brought up a hugely important issue, trans
0: rights in America, especially at the time like, Black trans women, especially, are being killed in high rates. Cory Booker bringing that up was a really good move on his part because,
1: like, it's an important issue that politicians don't talk about nearly enough. But I think that um, somebody on stage used the word Latinx, like, that's probably a first. Um, Klobuchar saying things like, I don't care about Trump at 5 a.m. in his bathrobe. Like, there are a lot of plays to sort of the way people speak on Twitter and things that are things that people our age sort of used to be respectful, and I thought that came through a lot more uh, on the first night than it did in the second. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about what didn't work. I think Beto O'Rourke not his best night. To me, he looked like he was like kind of like sweat. I don't know, something was off about him. He looked. He had like a darkness in his eyes. Just like there was a sadness there. Like yeah, the stage presence. Whatever was, was going on great. with Tim's Ryan eyes. <laughs> Yeah, the eyes all around on the first night stage <laughs> needed need some, some work. They need some brew, just saying. <laughs> um, just saying. They do. They need to do some eye drops. Something needed to be done. But yeah, Beto, I think, really had a poor showing. And part of the reason he was so popular and, like, I think that he decided to run for president was because he was so charismatic on the, like, Texas mm-hmm. front. But I think what works maybe in a state race doesn't necessarily work in a national mm-hmm. race, especially this whole thing about, like, connecting with individual voters and live streaming and all that. This debate really exemplified that there are just so many
0: candidates Like, literally every other day, someone is signing up for this race, but you can visually see it on day one and day two, and there's just 10 candidates packed on stage, and it was handled a bit better, I think, in the first day than maybe the second day, in terms of just, like, talking over each other, maybe, but Mm -hmm. there were just way too many candidates on the stage, and I don't know what a... Solution would have looked like I definitely would not have wanted to sit through three days of debates or even four
1: days, like yeah. some people suggested. But that was not great. This was exhausting enough. Let's talk about some of our biggest takeaways from that debate before moving on to the next one. Um, the use of Spanish—it was just overall cringe. As someone who speaks Spanish in the way that Beto and Cory Booker do, <laughs> just like no, like I, I cringed for them. I cringed about the whole thing. It just. Seems super pandering. Like,
0: I do appreciate the fact that people speaking in Spanish probably couldn't have happened again, like, a few years ago. But there's a way to do it, I think, that does not come off corny, that does not come off, like, strange. So, for instance, when Beto is asked a question about economic reform, and he clearly doesn't have an answer, saying we need democracy or something, like, in Spanish, that means nothing. And that's, like, a disservice to all the people listening. And I think it's a really interesting move to use Spanish here, because you know, they're in Miami, a large Latinx population. They are broadcasting on a Spanish language network. I mean, 40 million people basically in the United States speak Spanish. And so it's a not a bad move at all to speak Spanish. But when you only bring it up in the context of immigration, it insinuates both that Latinx people only care about immigration and that immigrants are only Spanish-speaking people. Because obviously we know there are so many other types of people that immigrate to the United States that don't speak Spanish or English, and
1: they are also not being given a fair chance in the spotlight. Um, one thing I actually liked about this debate, um, it was refreshing to hear Democrats talk about their potential administrations and their potential policies, because I think it looked towards this post-Trump future, and it reminded people that like politics before Trump, while obviously like it wasn't great, it was at least sort of civil and positive and like optimistic and forward-thinking. So I think getting people back into that sort of uh, mindset of like what politics was, um, and how like inspirational political figures can be when we're not like wasting all our energy hating them, like that it can be exciting. And so I think um, it was refreshing to talk about it in that sense and to keep it on policy as opposed to Trump, um, because you know they're not fighting Trump right now. They're not trying to beat Trump, and they're trying to. Um, beat each other before they can do that. He's definitely a reaction
0: to what Obama was the same way that Obama was a reaction to Bush. And so while definitely this next candidate will probably be a reaction to Trump in some way or another, I think it's still really important to remember that like we're dealing with politics as a whole. A lot of the problems that like Trump has exacerbated, sure, like he's made them worse, but they existed before Trump did. And so I think blaming everything on him while definitely, again, he's made so many things so much worse that's not the most productive way to get me
1: to understand what you will be like as a president. I do understand that like bringing up Trump is big for the democratic base. That's what people like want to hear, but I don't know if like what people want to hear versus what people need to hear in this instance is like sort of a, an interesting dynamic. So I think like talking about policy and things is how we're going to distinguish democratic candidates. You know, they all hate Trump. Maybe it's a question of who can like take on Trump the most and we can get to that when we like talk about Kamala Harris in the second debate. Um, but I think keeping it on policy for the most part in this debate, like, served a good function.
0: Yeah. Also, just in terms of, like, a debate itself, like, I felt like the beginning was so energetic. Like, I remember getting super hyped up. I was like, what? Like, why would you say that? Like, oh, I want to hear more about that. Like, whatever. But, like, towards the middle, I was just like, okay. <laughs> also, just in general, it's really interesting to look at the numbers, like, just purely of time talked. Like, NPR released his little infographic. Cory Booker talked the most, almost 11 minutes. Beto talked at um, about ten minutes, and then Warren only talked at nine twenty. Considering again, she's the only one in double digits polling numbers. Like she talked almost two minutes less than Booker, and then Amy Klobuchar came up there at eight twenty, but she was still like a minute
1: away from Warren's time. And to bring up women, again, um, <laughs> I think Warren knew that, like, for her to interrupt would not be perceived as well as somebody like Bill de Blasio, who literally, like, I think it played well for him to, like, literally just scream until he was allowed to speak. <laughs> like, it was a big New Yorker energy, but also, like, a big guy thing that if mm-hmm. Warren had tried to do that, everyone would be like, I, like, literally, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. um. So I think definitely she knew how that would be perceived, so she just, like, didn't really speak unless asked a question. Which I think was fine for this, but she's going to have to get into the mix more, I think, as things go on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but for now, generally, I think the first debate, like, biggest things, like, I think Castro surged, like, Warren should be happy. And, like, Beto is the person who I really think needs to, like, consider his strategy and consider taking the right Dayquil. (laughs) (laughs) Consider looking at the color of the pill. (laughs) (laughs) He definitely still
0: does have a chance. It's just a matter of, yeah, like, rebranding it a bit and, like, making sure he's just more energetic because... If people really want to tack onto this mediocre white guy whose main, like, facet is him being quirky, then, like, you need to play that up. Because you can't get
1: by on literally just looking, like, sallow (laughs) on stage. (laughs) And everyone's like, Pete Buttigieg took his lane, but, like, Beto made no claim to, like, retake that lane. And Castro then came for Mm -hmm. Beto's lane of, like, Texas. So he's really left with, like right no lanes you know <laughs> Beto just seemed lost right he just seems really lost and confused he seemed like one of many candidates over the course of both nights who seemed like they were only advocating for expanded health care said they themselves could take whatever medication they needed because he looked <laughs> ill so all right night two the vibes were so definitely definitely time. a lot more infighting I... a lot more Trump talk yeah
0: Kamala Harris really stood out for I think both of us just for so many yeah. reasons like she's literally the definition of lily blonde like what Literally, like, it's only what? Like, like that, that should was be her new so campaign classic Like,
1: we're proposing it. Like, Kamala, if you hear this, we're trademarking it, so don't steal this. But Kamala Harris, colon, what? Like, it's hard. You should think
0: about that. She just had so much poise. She was so concise and clear. She used, like, her emotions, but I think, like, well, again, there's that huge double standard, but I think she played into it the correct amount. Like, same with, like, Warren and her. They both. They just practiced. You could tell that they were ready for pretty much any type of
1: question that would be thrown their Mm way. You know, she talks a lot about parents, a lot about kids. Eric Swalwell would say, I think we all have kids. He tried (laughs) to jump in on that point. He's the Victoria Justice of this stage. And if you get that reference, you should keep listening to this podcast. But um, yeah, I think she did a lot about, you know, when it's 3 a.m., what are you worried about? Like when you're sitting outside the emergency room with your kid wondering about the cost of the emergency room visit, like things like that. It was a lot of things that I think um, parents in particular will like really really appreciate it. and I think that's really gonna play well for her
0: a black woman being able to talk about segregation in schools a huge issue of contention d- that never could have happened a few years ago mm-hmm. she definitely like did like pander a bit to a like a general more white audience and so I'd be curious to see like how she handled the issue in front of a different mm-hmm. audience but I mean she literally said like as a black person I would like to say something about race. And that just like that sentence meant so much to me. Kamala Harris has a lot of issues with her past as a prosecutor. Like that will never like be unmentioned by me. But at the same time, I think she really made it clear that she has been affected like as a black woman in this country by a variety of policies that a lot of the people on that stage supported at one point. And I think that is a really bold move to make, but it's the right mm-hmm. move
1: because it is personal and it is political mm-hmm. to her. And I think that moment also spoke to like the generational generational divide we were talking about. So for Biden to be like, I made this policy and for Kamala to be like, it literally affected me as a child. A, it shows the difference between them. Um, and then I think B, generational issues were spoken to. I think that was what Pete Buttigieg tried to hammer home in his sort of like closing thought they wanted to leave people with. And in his statements, you know, like, I served in Afghanistan. My husband and I have student loan debt, all sorts of those things. He's really trying to hammer home, like, his generation and our generation even more so is one that are affected by these things. And I think it played really poorly for Bernie when he basically says something to the extent of, unless we have some, you know, a more, like, revolutionary person like myself, we're never going to achieve change. And he was like, look at all these people on the stage. If any of them gets elected, like, it's more of the same. If you elect me, like, it's something different. And I was like, Bernard. (laughs) You have literally been in the Senate for how many years? And I know you don't have the support, but like for you to be like, they're more of the same and I'm something new. I felt like he kind of phoned it in. Yeah.
0: Half the time with his answers. And I think he kind of coasted on the fact that he has big name recognition across the country and he had a wide amount of support from both parties um, at the time of the 2016 election. And so I think he's going to have to really step it up in terms of his political correctness, but also just policy and like, because a lot of these big names are having similar
1: policy ideas to what he had in 2016. The other sort of policy leader, right, is Warren. And I think if Warren were to, like, not win the nomination, but her ideas, like, move people to the left and she sees them implemented, like, I think she'd be legitimately happy. But I think Mm -hmm. Bernie has an idea in his mind. He's like, these are my ideas and I'm the only person who can see them through. And it's, like, it's about Mm -hmm. him, whether it is about, like, helping. Because I think he's, like, very caught up in this, like, sort of persona and ego that he's created for him. I think he was mm. fine tonight, but, like, in a pretty packed stage like that, when there were a lot of frontrunners, people aren't really going to remember him. It was very, pretty similar to his, sort of, 2016 uh, whole shtick that he was going for. Because, like, in a lot of ways, definitely, like, economic justice
0: does mean racial justice. It does mean, like, gender equality. It does mean, like, all these things that we've been talking about. But that's a lot of steps to get there for, like, the average voter who may not understand or have like the full vocabulary to say, okay, well, when you do tax billionaires, let's say that fund can be used towards education, can be used towards healthcare, like all these other things that will inevitably affect, you know, black voters, trans voters, um, immigrant voters, stuff like that. Like, I agree with you completely that he's not, like, making those steps to say that explicitly, which I think is really needed at this point. Because, again, it can't just all be about economic justice because you can have that be your main platform, of course, but you need to show voters how that connects to the really
1: intricate details of their lives, like, day to day. And I think that is, for me, the main difference between Sanders and Warren. They have a lot of the same economic policies, but I think Warren speaks to those issues. You know, she has, like, plans for, like, an entrepreneurship fund for um, communities of color, or, like, businesses of color, and then she has, you know, her, like, plan to do some sort of, like, redistribution for all the, like, tax benefits that LGBT couples missed out on.
0: So, yeah, I think that mods did a pretty good job overall trying to, like, make them stick to the question and making sure, like, they kind of kept on time. It definitely faltered here and there, but, like, you know, that's a debate. But also, I feel like it was kind of weird when, like, Chuck Todd, for instance, would be like, okay, we're going to do this, like, wide sweeping poll across the (laughs) 10-person debate stage, and then ask these incredibly complicated questions (laughs) that require, like, literally two minutes of nuanced, like, conversation, and be like, okay, two words, go. Like, what's the biggest geopolitical threat? (laughs) Like, basically, the United States, and they're like, uh, (laughs) like, definitely, you can see the candidates that practiced those type of questions, like, really stand out, but also, like, As I was laughing at them, I was, like, also, like, okay, like, to be fair, you said one to two words max, and you're getting these, like, 15, 20-word answers, but, like, obviously, like, what were you expecting?
1: And then Chuck would get so worked up, and he'd be like, two (laughs) words? Like, can you count? I'm like, okay, Chuck, but can you match? If you're gonna ask a question like that, like, I don't know, like, (laughs) make it something like, what's your fucking name? Like, because we don't know (laughs) that about every, we don't know that about every candidate at this point.
0: (laughs) No, it was literally such a mess. Like, And then they're all talking over each other. They're all like trying to put it in their like, closing speeches and these questions. I was like, no, just stop. Like, into the question, yes, but also like reformat the question in the first place. I
1: know, I know. That was such a mess. Yeah. I did appreciate that they asked specific candidates specific questions that needed to be asked. Joe Biden, he's sort of predicating his whole campaign, this idea that people will believe he's the only one who can beat Trump. And he opened his message with that. He closed his message with that. And even though Kamala Harris used his name in more of a sense of like, look what he's done at the border, look what he's done here, like in sort of an inhumane, immoral sense, her ability to cross-examine Biden shows people more than anything, oh, she can definitely take on Trump. Like she has that prosecutor. She's not taking any like bullshit.
0: Yes, you have like, these people who have been in specifically bernie and biden they've been in politics for so long and And in the senate together yeah exactly and they've been making these policies that really affect people like the rest of the people on stage right you know for so long (laughs) and also like biden's whole thing is like i was a part of the obama administration and so while he was definitely a progressive champion in some aspects he really wasn't in others And I think that, especially since Trump came right after, they didn't really have the chance to say Obama was really great here, but also he did so many deportations, he really treated immigrants poorly, like, so many things happened under his watch that could have maybe been prevented or handled that he just didn't do. Again, he was in a very unique position, being the first black president, but... And at like a the certain Congress, point that was
1: like the most fucking obstructionist but yeah <laughs>
0: right at a certain point it only gets you so far like that yeah. excuse and so i think kamala harris did a really good job of stating if you're really gonna attach yourself to that train you are implicated in that as well biden
1: i thought it was impressive when when she was like i worked with president obama we had a great relationship i really respected him i just i felt personally attacked as soon as he's like he's like what i did blah, blah. i was like okay like i didn't do anything to you i'm sorry <laughs> like Take my money, I don't He's care. Like, when I was like, vice, what I vice president. Yelling at me with Barack Obama. It's like we know, we literally know. Like you've said it forty times.
0: <laughs> and I just like it. Just seems like unhinged old white man. In the park versus like someone who's <laughs> impassioned about their ideas. Um, you know. Can we also
1: talk about how Joe Biden said his first move in office would be to defeat Trump. <laughs> Like sir, like sweetie,
0: that's a given. What what next? What's after that? Dude, he didn't understand the question
1: either. No, there were he. Okay, first of all, Bernie, let's talk about. <laughs> Bernie couldn't hear the whole time, and like literally looked more confused than Beto. Beto just looked sad. Bernie looked confused. No, literally, Bernie wanted the Medicare just to buy his own hearing aids. <laughs> That's a Medicare for all is. <laughs> um, before we move oh into our gosh. final segment, can we talk briefly about Marianne Williamson? I think she deserves a whole podcast oh in and of herself. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, the voice, first of all, she sounded like she came straight out of one of those black and white episodes of PLL. I'm going to say it.
0: And just like, I was so confused. de Blasio did a similar thing, I think, in the first night where it was like, they both were just saying, not obvious things, but just like. Obvious things about like the Democratic Party that definitely is not cutting it anymore, and I think just to say, yeah, the system is corrupt. Like, okay, great. What are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do as president? I think the
1: difference is like De Blasio was saying these things in a much more like sort of politically calculating type of way, and like trying to tout his New York record, which like by the way New Yorkers hate him, but whatever. All right, did I believe everything that came out of his mouth? No. Do I care? (laughs) Yes. Marianne, it literally seems like every time she opened her mouth, it's because like a wind spirit like whispered to her to do it. Like it came out of literally nowhere every time. This whole it's, thing was a giant SNL sketch. Like I swear
0: to God, <laughs> I'm so mad they're on hiatus literally, right now. I hope Kate this McKinnon would is be comedy gold. I hope, no, I hope like she's Cecily scribbling Strong notes right now. Kate
1: McKinnon is like sharpening their pencils, taking notes on Marianne Williamson. She has the range, in the way these candidates do not.
0: She has more range in acting than they do in policymaking, I mean, and that's the that's real facts.
1: And last thing before we do superlatives, just to all the Democratic candidates, to anybody working for them, to anybody associated, you guys, it's LGBTQ, okay? It's literally five letters. Oh it's not my that goodness. hard. practice it. Say it a few times in the mirror. Like, I don't know what <laughs> more advice you need, but like, stop butchering the word. Literally, young people it's will like, notice. You and can it's tell awkward. that
0: none of them have ever said it before in their entire yeah. lives. None of them have ever uttered the word LGBTQ ever and it it literally shows and it's like yeah it's like funny but also like the lgbtq community is like they're having so many issues to deal with right now in this country that should be properly addressed and looked at by every single presidential candidate and while certain candidates definitely did bring up like you know again cory booker and castro like they brought up trans rights that was so important but when the rest of the people on the stage can't even say LGBTQ, just, like, what are you doing? Um, Wait, also, like, the woman thing.
1: Oh, the woman thing? The The woman thing, of The course. woman thing. <laughs>
0: so, there are, what, like, six women on the
1: stage? Six, like six. <laughs> I mean, there are six women in America, so they all showed up according to, like, congressional representation. I, just, I think it's going to be really interesting
0: to see these women have to navigate, again, whether their platforms are good or bad, whether they can navigate this whole like double standard and so it's going to be really interesting to see that dynamic play out as well as the men of color for instance like Castro like how he navigates being the only Latino candidate on the stage and seeing how that plays into how people ask him about immigration and how people ask him about certain issues in the country that no other candidate would be asked in the same way.
1: And that's why I really think they need to ask, like, the male candidates or the white candidates these questions, especially mm-hmm. in light of, like, 2016 and how mm-hmm. sexism, like, played such a huge role. And, like, going to plug Hillary's book, uh, What Happens. <laughs> like, she talks a lot about, like, how she thinks sexism affected it um, and sort of the sexism she's experienced throughout her career. And I think, like, candidates, especially, like, Bernie, who was there at the time, like, should have to address, like, what are you going to personally do to make sure that, like, these same problems don't show up because like ultimately if the democratic candidate is a woman if these male candidates or if the democratic candidate's a person of color and these white candidates are not being held accountable to these standards a and are b like enforcing the problems then it's going to like serve to the democratic party's detriment so like i think it's important not only like to create equity within the candidates but like be just like for whoever the nominee is
0: so for our last segment would you like to
1: introduce it gabby we are young people we are the youths as they say so we want to end with something fun something we feel like only we can do
0: superlatives for all the candidates
1: so you want to start and just go back and forth yeah
0: um okay my first one would definitely have to be Beto. like most likely to just need some fix vapor rub like kind of <laughs> rub it on your chest you know get a little pep in your step because he was dragging that entire
1: stage <laughs> all night <laughs> If you're in college, you probably know somebody who studied abroad for, like, one semester in, like, a place that everybody else studies abroad and won't shut up about it. Um, Me and Marissa are going abroad in the fall, so that will be us soon. I'm not even going (laughs) to lie. But... In the Democratic poll, that's definitely Marianne Williamson.
0: She's either the type who has studied abroad or went to Europe for, like, a six-week trip and was like, I know Europe. Like, I just know Europeans. I know what they're thinking. Like, guys, I got this. Like, <laughs> that's her vibes, and I was not taking it. <laughs> okay, definitely Joe Biden, most likely to have graduated, like, 25 years ago, but still show up at every high school football game. Like, he's has that classic. Like, he's wearing his like, class football, wrong. like, varsity jacket, his class ring like somehow he's like seven of them on like all of his fingers he's, he's like "Hey, like is, like, what's up oh my gosh oh um kamala harris is definitely the most likely to be the mom friend like i don't know i was really digging it when she's like as a parent like i believed her in the way yeah. that like when eric was like as a parent i was like are you a parent are you sure <laughs> i remember his new york times like those answers like the videos thing he literally brought up his daughter like every other like frame, and I was like, okay, even the women didn't do that. Like, <laughs> you're imposing this weird standard on yourself. The wait, do you even go here? Award definitely goes to my man John Hickenlooper. <laughs> like, what was he doing the whole time? <laughs> I was honestly every time the camera panned to him, I was like, oh, oh, you're on stage again. Okay, cool.
1: <laughs> and the uh, ma'am, this is a Wendy's award it goes to Bill De Blasio because literally zero people asked him to scream about anything or really even participate. <laughs> closing thoughts what did you take away from the past two days of debates this whole idea that the democrats should run some sort of milk toast, boring white guy i think sets us far more backwards than it does forwards even if that means you get a win you know which is like at this point i don't think we know who can beat trump i don't think we know who can win i think the whole playbook was kind of tossed out when trump won in the first place but i think um kamala showed she can definitely take the fight to trump and anybody um, you know she's a woman. She's a woman of color, and she was the strongest person on that stage tonight. Like full stop. So I think um, if nothing else, like these debates showed that like Harris and Warren and even Gillibrand at times, um, and Julian Castro talking about like men of color, like uh, definitely we don't need to run milk toast. And I think the, those type of candidates came off the worst. I think they were boring. I think they seemed not super educated on issues. They struggled to hold mm-hmm. my attention. Whereas the more dynamic candidates, I think, were the ones that came off better. And those were often women or people of color.
0: And also, I think it's because we have to be more dynamic, you know, to stand out. Because, again, you literally look at the swath of candidates we had. They're all mayo on white bread. And it's just like, (laughs) you, like, you have to, like, the whole saying is like, work twice as hard to get half as far. And I think a lot of that is really starting to show through in the female and the, um, people of color candidates because you see people like warren who is just like every single question she was on top of it the whole time Mm -hmm. and that's not a coincidence she works very hard in a way that like people to judge like oh haha he learned two words in one day like what a boy genius like you know she's an actual like academic who knows things you know say what you will about a variety of her issues or platforms but she knows what she's doing She's one hundred percent same with yeah. like castro like on that stage castro he knew what he was doing and what he was saying mm-hmm. most of the time same with kamala harris like just like these people have been conditioned their whole lives to have to fight for what they need to say and
1: have it be clear and concise otherwise no one's gonna listen mm-hmm. and that really paid off i think in these past two days and i think it's also interesting to point out somebody like bernie sanders is dime dy- is dynamic but bernie's whole thing is like Screaming and getting worked up, whereas it's like Elizabeth. His dynamic is his just dynamic is me. <laughs> Literally just going off the rails. Whereas someone like Elizabeth Warren doesn't have to raise her voice, doesn't have to like you know get all worked up. But for her to say, "I'm Elizabeth Warren. I grew up in Oklahoma," in a way that's like cool, calm, collected, but meaningful and emotional. I think that like goes just as far, and I think it was like really cool to see that and to see these people with like marginalized identities are like. Not only, like, there, but they're really thriving in my mind. And still know that we have such a long way to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. But, like,
0: we're taking those steps, like, now. Yeah. As opposed to saying, oh, we'll deal with the diversity thing, like, 10 years from now. Like, Bernard. the fact that people like <laughs> them can run, really. People like them can run now. People like AOC and Ilhan Omar and, like, people like that can run for um, representative seats and Congress seats. It's just, like, that's... We're going in the right direction, I think, with the party. It's just a matter of you know, not letting
1: old white men dominate the conversation anymore. And that's the question facing us in 2020. And that's a question we will continue to track throughout this primary season. So we'll see how candidates are doing, how they're polling, how they're tracking. We'll see if Miriam Williamson dissolves into a wisp in the wind. There are many storylines to track, so stay tuned, stay with us. Nobody asked us, but here we are.